I'm Tracy Balash, and this is Learn to Fly. I'm a naturally curious person, but my capacity for retaining interesting pieces of information is actually pretty limited. It's probably one of the reasons I both admire and am fascinated by Ayako Otaki. She excels at personal mastery. Ayako is an avid reader. She listens to podcasts. She attends conferences. She is a world traveler, and she hosts a monthly brunch. Did I mention she's an outstanding cook and baker? Well, that brunch is with like-minded individuals who share their monthly learnings and support each other both personally and professionally. On this episode of Learn to Fly, Ayako talks about curiosity, leadership, and going out on a limb. So you and I have known each other for, for quite a while. We've actually worked together at, at one point. Um, and even after we both left, we stayed in contact. And there was a time when we went out for coffee. You were working for a rather large corporation. Um, I was still working in government. Um Take me back to that time. What was going on? How you were feeling? Mm. So we had gone for coffee and I was telling you about my job, which I found extremely stressful at the time. And uh, it was kind of at a pivotal point in my life where uh, I was making a decision. And so I had actually gone on vacation and remember the moment where I had that pivotal thought and it was in Budapest. I was looking in, over into the Danube River and I thought, I just don't want this to be my life. I don't want to work 80 hours a week anymore. Um, I don't want to climb the corporate ladder. And so when we had gone for coffee, I think I was talking to you about wanting to make a change in my life mm -hmm. based and, on that. Right. And you made that change. I not, did. Not long after we had coffee. That's true. Yes. What was that like? Uh, scary at the beginning. So um, so I started my own consulting company. Uh, at the time, I was doing organizational change management and decided to become a consultant to do that. It was... Um, uh, it was a bit daunting, but I was able to set everything up and I had some time to reflect on what I wanted to do, but I haven't regretted that decision since then. I have a lot more freedom and I have made my life more in line with, I think, who I am. And so, who are you? Uh, so I think I'm very strong-willed. Uh, I'm very... Um, I like to self-educate, so I'm really passionate about learning more about things. I like to travel and I like to learn more about people. So I think travel goes well with that because I can learn about other cultures, about how people live. And I think it's good for empathy because you perspective take with those people and you can understand where they're coming from better when you've been to where they've come from. Okay. I'm going to get back to that in a moment. Okay. Um, but you made a comment about self-education and that's one of the things that um, I really really appreciate about you is that every time I see you you are just brimming with enthusiasm about you know the latest book that you've read the latest podcast webinar um, conference that you've been to so where does that come from I have a lot of curiosity, so I'm always trying to figure things out. So I think it's a sense of curiosity. And I read a lot or I learn a lot about problems that I'm trying to solve. So mm. if there's something that comes up um, and I, I want to know more about it and I want to solve that problem, um, then I, I read things that will help me solve those specific problems that I'm having. Um, I read a lot on leadership. Uh, I read a lot about um, self-improvement 
trying to get better. I think one of my goals is self-improvement, to always get better, mm -hmm. to always become the better version of myself. That is so great. I, I've often said that I feel sorry for people who feel that there's nothing left to learn. Exactly. You know, and there's so many people that reach that point at some point in their lives. And I, and I just think it's sad. You know, the best part of uh, maturing is, you know, those, those new insights that come about. Yes. Yeah. What's your latest insight? Um, so the thing that I've been talking a lot about is Patrick Lencioni. Um, so I went to the Unconference and he talked about how to make organizations healthy. And I think that that really resonated with me because it's a focus on people and on connection. And I think it also resonated because uh, organizations that I've worked in have largely been unhealthy. And I think at my moment of frustration, when we went for coffee a few years ago, I was coming out of a very unhealthy uh, corporate workplace situation. And I look back at that and I think so many places have unhealthy cultures. And it's a problem that a lot of people don't know how to fix. And he gives a solution on how to fix that. So I'm really interested in that. Uh, in the last year, I've also been really interested in emotional intelligence, and I know we've talked a lot about that mm -hmm. and understanding that better and how it can improve my life, but also improve the way that I work, the way that I help others lead. So I, I talk a lot about Brené Brown. She's one of my favorite authors, too. I think we've talked about her mm -hmm. quite a bit yep. um, as being really inspirational. So I think that has affected me a lot in my personal life. So I've applied a lot of what she has said personally with better success. I think I've always struggled with things like vulnerability. It was Yeah, we've talked about that for sure. Not one of yeah. my favorite things, but I think applying that now has made a difference in my personal life. And you really have to come from a place of vulnerability in order to, um, to, and to grow, really. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about unhealthy workplaces, um, I remember... You know, after you were, were learning about that, you were actually able to apply it to a situation that we had been in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you were able to name it for what it was. Um, so we were describing a situation in which um, we were doing annual reports. And uh, we, <laughs> we had to reprint um, these annual reports because of it was a one typo in there. I think it was a bullet that was misaligned. Um, oh. <laughs> it was a bullet. And so we were talking about that and our conversation was around how that is about perfectionism and how perfectionism, according to Brene Brown, comes from a place of of shame, right? Of being perfect so that nobody realizes who we really are, which is mm -hmm. um, not vulnerability in any way. And how often do you see that in the organizations that you've constantly? With? Yeah, constantly. I think that in organizations we sh we see shaming behavior. I've seen, uh, I know of one experience where a coworker was shamed um, by somebody on the project team in front of everyone. I've seen. Um, other instances where people berate others in a very shaming way. So I think it's very prevalent. Where does it start? In other words, um, I mean, leaders obviously need to lead the way, right? Um, so, and yet, unfortunately, it's often the leadership who are those ones who think they have nothing left to learn, right? Because they've yes. gotten to that point yeah. that, well, I'm already, you know, chief executive officer or executive director, so I already know what I'm doing. 
You talked about that before as well. So interestingly, um, when I went to the conference, the unconference, the Patrick Lencioni one, he released a book that he had just started working on, and it's called The Motive. And he talked about leaders who are servant leaders. So those leaders who feel that their obligation is to serve the people that they lead. But he also talked about the other type of leader who feels that the leadership position is a reward for a lifetime of work. Mm. Um, and he's like, often those servant leaders will do the hard work work to make organizations healthier. Those are the ones willing to lead with vulnerability and who focus on trust and accountability and results. But those other leaders often abdicate pieces of their role um, because they feel that they've already done everything to get where they need to be. So I've thought about that a lot lately and the motivation behind leaders. Um, and I think you're right. It starts with the leader. So if a leader is willing to be vulnerable, then other people will follow suit. But if they're if they're unable to do that, then leadership also follows, right? And the rest of the organization will follow. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it, it's almost something that really has to be reflective in the entire executive team or the, the full senior leadership ranks. Um, because I came from uh, a, a previous job in which um, my boss uh, was a disciple of servant leadership. And he was excellent. He really, truly was. Um, but I think in terms of getting the other members of our senior leadership team on board, it, it just just didn't seem to uh, inspire them, hmm. you know, very much kind of stuck in their pattern of, of doing things the way they've always done them. Mm -hmm. What do you think it takes to, to shake somebody like that up? Or, or is it possible? Uh, I don't know. That's an interesting question, actually. What does it take to change somebody like that? I, I think that it takes a strong leader at the very head of the organization who feels that way. One thing that they brought up at the conference that I've thought a lot about is being able to morally remind people. So even though you're not in a place of authority, we can morally remind people that they are not uh, living in line with the values of the organization that have been set out. And I really liked that idea because we're not always in a position of authority, but we are all in a position to influence others. And I think morally reminding people of their behavior and of um, their values, whether they're in line with them or not, can be helpful. And I think it gets to a point, they mentioned this at the conference, where people select out because it's so uncomfortable mm -hmm. to be constantly reminded that they're not living in line with those values. That takes courage on the part of, of others in the organization, yes. though, to do that, right? Yes, that's true. You know, that's something that I've found in, in some of the workshops uh, that I've done on conversational intelligence is people are really keen on, but how do we have these difficult conversations? Yes. What do you know about that? I think with difficult conversations, it has to come from a place of empathy. I think if it comes from a place of empathy and we acknowledge the perspective of the other person and that they might be in a difficult situation, that it really helps. And I also think it comes from a place of love and of respect because you are saying, or I think it should be said, that people, um, people are capable of being great. Um, and that you believe in that person to be great and you're giving this feedback to help them be great because you know that they're capable of that. I think that's a lot more inspiring than um, just giving negative feedback. 
This reminds me so much of, of Judith Glaser's book on conversational intelligence because she talks about conversational essentials and one of the things that she talks about is listening to connect mm-hmm. and and she says that and that's that empathy that you're talking about because it's not just about um, you know oh okay I'm nodding yes I hear you I echo it's um, putting judgment um, your own agenda aside and really putting yourself in the other person's shoes mm-hmm. um, because I think what we often do is you start describing a situation say where you're having uh, an issue with a, with a, a colleague and our brains are hardwired to start retrieving memories that are similar mm-hmm. right so I'm I, so yes I'm nodding I'm listening to you but in the meantime I'm retrieving a memory of when I had a problem with a colleague and then I just can't wait for you to shut up so I can share my story and and assume that it's the same as yours or the same kind of perspective right yes and I think that's what we commonly do I think so, so yes for me to put that story aside, recognize that that's what my brain is doing, but then put it aside. And one of the things that the, one of the other conversational essentials that she talks about is ask questions that you don't have answers to. Mm -hmm. That's one way to put your agenda aside, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm helping you explore what it is that you're trying to tell me, Mm -hmm. and um, we're we're in a state of discovery with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that very few of us have those kind of skills to do that. Yes, I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. You make an interesting point and something that I've also thought about is the stories that we make up in our interactions and how we often don't get clear on what those stories are with the people. So, for instance, if uh, we have an interaction and you kind of wince, the story I might make up is that you're not enjoying the conversation that we're having and therefore it must be something's wrong with me uh, when in fact, you know, if I get clear with you on that interaction, you might just have had a pain in your side or something, right? Unrelated to me at all. But I think a lot of us don't clarify what those interactions are, but they taint further interactions that we have with those people. That is absolutely true. And it reminds me of something else that's in that book on conversational intelligence, where she talks about those ladder of conclusions, Mm -hmm. you know, where she says we just assume that we understand the other person's story um, and we make up Uh, decisions around that or make decisions based on that and so yeah really kind of going through that um, get finding that clarity that you need in order to ensure that you're on the same page so are there perceived threats let's talk about them yes let's get them out on the table yeah getting clear at those interactions is important how come we're not doing more of this in, in in the workplace uh, I think that part of it is because it takes self-awareness, and some people have that self-awareness and others don't. I think that it takes courage to have those conversations, and I don't think everyone is equipped to have those conversations. I think you have to prepare yourself for some of those conversations. Um, one of the tools that Brené Brown had that I really liked is um, a it's with her daring, uh, daring way work is she has a checklist of, you know, when you're ready to give feedback, when you can sit across from somebody, when you can understand their perspective. And I don't think a lot of us are ever taught to have conversations about vulnerability or to have conversations about our emotions. I think a lot of us have grown up to hear, well, you know, you don't acknowledge that or you don't cry or there's a lot of judgment assigned with our emotions mm-hmm. versus using our emotions as data and what they say about us. So Susan David talks a lot about that in her book, Emotional Agility, that our, our emotions are data that signpost to our values. They say something about who we are. 
and that we can use that information to better understand ourselves and make decisions around that. So give me an example. So she gave the example um, that she was in L.A. So she lives in Boston, but she was in L.A. doing an interview and she was away from her kids who were sick and she was feeling extremely guilty about that. So she took a moment to get curious about that and she recognized in that moment that her guilt was stemming from the fact that she really values family and being away from her family when her kids were sick bothered her. But she said recognizing that she was then able to take action around that so she could have a friend drop in on her kids to make sure that her kids okay she could FaceTime with her kids because connection with her kids is really important and then she would still have that interaction with them so she felt less guilty about being away if she could do things to compensate for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you talk about um, you know we grow up not really knowing you know how to acknowledge emotion or that emotion is somehow a, a, a bad thing um, when, when is it okay to talk about emotion? Uh, I think that, uh, I think we have people close to us that those are the people we tell our hard stories mm -hmm. to and with, and those are the people that we trust. So um, I think it's something that I've worked on lately is actually meditation, which has helped to create space between an emotion, so to recognize that you're feeling something okay. because you have that kind of internal focus from, you know, uh, a certain amount of time. So that helps to reflect on why you're feeling the way that you do. And then you can recognize it and help in those moments when you are emotionally triggered to realize why and then to act differently in those moments. So instead of having an outburst about something to recognize that I'm emotionally triggered and then I might need a moment to step away. Uh, so I think that's something that's helped. I think in workplaces, it's it's okay to show emotion. It's just not okay to show um, kind of ex like have extreme outbursts. Right. Right. So I think that. So can it's be, managing exactly. Your emotion. It's, it's managing it. Yes. Right. Exactly. Recognizing that you're triggered by something, but then doing things to manage that. Mm -hmm. So it's not displayed inappropriately. I guess. Right. That's the way to phrase it. You also talked about being curious. Um, and, and I, too, am a curious person, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing this podcast. And, you know, I recall my mother um, telling me, oh, my God, Tracy, why are you asking people those questions? And I says, well, nobody's told me to mind my own business yet. You know, like it, it is amazing what people tell you if you just come to them from a place of curiosity. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. So I do think it's important to have people in our lives where we share our hard stories with who will show us empathy in return. So I think especially when it comes to things like shame, that's one of the shame resiliency techniques is to share your story with someone who you really trust. Um, and it actually helps to build that relationship further because you build that trust knowing that you're sharing hard things with someone. Absolutely. You talked about uh, empathy um, in terms of meeting people when you travel. Tell me some more about that. Um, so when I came back from Asia, I had a moment that I realized this. So I had spent six weeks in Asia and I was visiting Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand and um, Malaysia. And I came back and... For one of the reasons I, I went to Malaysia is because my hairdresser's from Malaysia and has always talked about it. And so it is a great place. And I was able to talk to him about that. But I remember having a moment when I had come back from Vietnam and I had gone to a Vietnamese restaurant in Edmonton here. 
And I was telling the lady as I was paying that I just got back from Vietnam and she was shocked that I would have visited a country that she was from and that I had actually gone to more places in Vietnam than she's been to. Is that right? Interesting. But just she was so impressed that I took the time to visit a country where she is from. I think a lot of the issues right now that I see, uh, whether it's with things like Brexit or what's happening in the United States, also comes from not really knowing the perspective of those people and where they're coming Mm -hmm. from. And I think traveling to places like that helps to really broaden that perspective um, because you might see where they're coming from and their desire to be in a, a country like Canada or the United States, and you can appreciate what we have here. Um, and also appreciate the culture that they're coming to. Like I think of Syrian refugees and the position that they're in, that their country and culture that they loved has been destroyed and they've been displaced, um, that that must be incredibly difficult for those people. They're dealing with trauma because they've been in war torn situations um, and they're unable to return to you know, their country of origin. That must be really heartbreaking for those people, in addition to all the things that they're suffering. Um, And so one thing I've noticed just about kind of those situations that I had mentioned before, like with Brexit or with what's happening in the United States is so many of those core messages are around belonging and connection, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, the core message at a lot of those things is you don't belong in my country. You don't belong in my state, my province, wherever that is. Um, and I think that belonging really affects people if they're told they don't belong. It's such a basic human need for us to want to connect and to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that must be, you know, very difficult for people like that to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Ayako, uh, you inspire me. You do. Um, keep on learning um, and keep on sharing with me what you've learned. I will do that. Uh, I really appreciate this. Thanks, Tracy. I'm Tracy Balash, founder of Brave Bird Studio and host of Learn to Fly. If you have any questions about this episode or would like more information on the services my company provides around coaching, leadership, and team building, email me at tracy at bravebirdstudio.com. Thanks for listening.